Praise God. Please take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 22. I know we started a little mini-series on evidences, uh, reasons to trust the Bible. Amen. And we went through two evidences a couple weeks back. Uh, I had a, man, uh, a message last week that was more geared, it's geared toward everybody, but specifically also to men. Since the women were gone, I was able to lovingly hammer men, including myself, to be, you know, more men of God and so forth. Uh, but I want to get back to Revelation, and we'll continue in that little mini-series. I just didn't want to bog down, because I've moved so many devotional and practical messages in between the Revelation series here and there, because Revelation is so prophetic uh, that it kind of bogs us down sometimes, and that's more of a topical message that's not really, I mean, it helps you fall in love with God's Word more, that's great. But I'm not going to do all three, three of these messages or whatever they end up being in a row. Uh, last, uh, I want to do one on archaeology coming up. And you might think that's a boring subject. It's one of the most exciting subjects when you realize it verifies the reality of God's word. And I'm excited about that. I've been working on that, you know, and, and, uh, and just a few other evidences like that. But I want to keep some of the momentum we have going through the book of Revelation. We're actually in verse 7, but I'm going to skip verse 7 and go to verse 8 and 9. And then when we hit verse 10, I'm going to go to 7 with verse 10 because I like the way they go together. Uh, so we're going to look at verses 8 and 9. Uh, Today, and I just want to encourage you to just really, how many of you love the Lord here? All of you, right? Yeah, hopefully all of you. If not all of you, hopefully by the end of this message, if you're visiting or you're coming for a little bit, but you're coming with your spouse or what have you and checking things out, hopefully you'll fall in love with the Lord. Because uh, in heaven, we notice an interesting phenomenon when the apostle John is in heaven. Is he's so overwhelmed by the beauty and the power of God. Can you imagine seeing all kinds of just angels, seraphim or cherubim, you know, and all these angels worshiping God and rainbow colors around the throne of God, emerald and a sapphire throne, just, just, and you're seeing New Jerusalem and you're just, and you're overwhelmed. Well, two different times, John makes a terrible mistake. And I, and I say this, I love John, you know, and that means I would make the same mistake, but even faster, or we would, because John was such a man of God very likely we could make that same mistake, is twice he bowed down before an angel to worship the angel. And both times he was rebuked by the angel not to do that. And both times he stops, he catches himself. Now keep in mind, John knows not to worship angels. He knows not to bow down to the idols. He closes his first epistle. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. He knows it's wrong. But he's so caught up in the wonder, he falls down to worship an angel, not once, but twice, which shows me because we're created to worship, amen? And everybody worships. Everybody worships someone. Worship means to serve. It's a synonym for serve. Everybody out there, when you walk around, they might not think they're religious, but some of them, they're all religious, you know? But because they're serving themselves or they're serving someone else or serving something or some celebrity or whatever. And the name of this message is avoiding the snares of American idols. And now we have a lot of people that look, listen by live stream, and a lot of people that are in our ministry from other countries. We praise the Lord for you guys. Uh, but when I say American idols, you can relate from whatever country you're at because we export, or we're really good at exporting. I'm saying not we, not me, me, but our country is really good at exporting idolatry. I learned that in my first or second trip to Israel. And I saw MTV everywhere in the shops, in the diners, and just corners. And I'm like, man, they got the same problem we have. Uganda, countries you wouldn't even think about. I mean, they're being influenced by our country. And we have a, 
And if John could fall into idolatry with not even realizing what he's doing, that's a strong warning to me. It makes me think, man, Lord, it can be very, very subtle. It also is amazing because there's something, is there any positives in that? No positives in idolatry, but there is a positive kind of indirectly of seeing how wonderful and how powerful heaven is that you'll never be bored. You'll be like, and guess what? John is not even seeing it in its reality. He's seeing it in a vision. He's seeing the new heavens and the new earth that'll be created in New Jerusalem because it hasn't been created yet in New Jerusalem, okay? And he's just dumbfounded. He's so blown away. He's seen the praise and worship of heaven. He's twice. John, get up. I'm a fellow servant of yours. Don't worship me. Worship God. That's in chapter 19 and 22. Let's look at 22, 8, and 9. The second time he falls down. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw... I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and those who keep or heed the words of this book. Worship who? God. Now we've dealt with this concept in, in a similar verse in 1910, a few chapters earlier. So I won't be saying a lot of things I said in that message about how we are servants and so forth. And I don't look at my past messages. Hardly ever do I ever go back to a past message. Rarely will I go back to something that I've done before because I always like things to be so fresh, you know. Once in a while I'll look at something. But I thought, man, I don't want to repeat a lot of what I said in chapter 19, verse 10. So I looked back at that message and I was like, wow, I was, <laughs> not, I was all over the place. And it's not what was so on my heart today, which was great. But... I want you to be edified today. And guess what? Idolatry is a huge problem in the church right now. In fact, there are millions of people, perhaps millions, at least hundreds of thousands, if not at least tens of thousands, but I imagine hundreds of thousands, maybe millions in our country right now who skip church and are skipping church this time of year because the NFL started and it's football season and they don't want to miss the games. Well, when you're putting football before church and worship of the Lord, what does it say? It can be very subtle. You can say, well, I, I know God's first in my life. Well, he's first in our lives. If he's first in our lives, it'll show up in the way we walk, right? You know? I mean, praise God for DBR, right? Or you can tape things now these days, right? You know? But don't even do that if you're going to put it before God, amen? And we all have to be careful of putting things before God and all kinds of men will struggle with not coming to fellowship. I mean, there's a ton of sports. It could be any sport. But I know it's during football season, you know, I have to call certain men up and say, repent, dude. Get off your face before that TV. No, I don't do that, you know. But I know guys have a problem, you know. Maybe they need to hear that sometimes, right? We all need to be warned. We've got to be really careful, you know. It could be really, really subtle. I heard Al Michaels recently brought, he's, you know, seasoned older commentator and he asked his co-host or co-commentator so what this is just last week you know what team did you grow up idolizing when you were young and he said oh well he thought about it the Steelers and the and, and the Cowboys were really big at that time so it must have been late 70s he's referencing right after you know the early 70s when my Dolphins dominated the only time they ever dominated you know <laughs> And he says, oh, I'd have to say the Cowboys. And I thought, that's, pff, you're worshiping, you're idolizing the, the Cowboys? 
You know, I love you cowboy fans, you know. I'm just playing. But still, that's messed up. And I thought, you know, and I know idolize, it's an expression now. But for some people, it's very real. For some people, they really do put, not some people, millions of people, right? Put things and celebrities and before God. And we can't let that happen to our lives. It's so, so serious that we're very careful, you know? In your life, you want to make sure you put the Lord first. If you have children, you want to teach them to put the Lord first because they're going to gravitate to worship something because we're all created to worship. You want to make sure and you want to encourage your spouse and yourself because your spouse starts putting something before God. Well, then they're going to put something before you even more easily. If they can put something before God, it's going to compromise your relationship. So as, a, as couples, you want to stay focused on the Lord together, pray together, and encourage each other in Christ, you know. Talk about the Lord. May he be the main one that's on your lips. Amen? Now, as we look at this passage, it's, it's so important that we see, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw that, he's just blown away by the beauty. But he fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. We do not want to worship angels. Don't do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours. I'm just like you, right? And, and, and your brethren, the prophets and of those who heed the words of the book, worship God. I'm going to be focusing when I focus on verse 7 because, and then the end of verse, uh, or verse 9 there, heeding the word, and then verses, uh, you know, the verse, verse 10, another message on the importance of heeding the word of the book in light of his coming. But right now, it's important that we get this down. Jesus, what did Jesus say is the greatest of all the commandments? Thou shalt what? You guys are all quoting it. That's good. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart, thy whole soul, all thy mind, all thy strength. Amen. That's everything we have. Everything we are is supposed to worship God. Again, worship means to serve. We speak of praise and worship. Praise, giving praise to God and singing to him is a part of our worship. A lot of times people think of worship as singing. That's just part of our worship. We're in a love relationship with God, man. He made us. And our, one of the ultimate aspects of the love language God gave us is singing, worshiping him. By the way, he's in love with you. He loves you. He sent his son. He so loved you that he sent his only son, we got son, right, to die for you. So he wouldn't perish but have eternal life. Amen? And guess what? In Zephaniah chapter 3, you know the Bible says he sings over you. He sings over his people. And that's a trip, man. Because in heaven, it speaks of his voice being like many waters and thunders. I think uh, if he actually sang on American Idol, he'd win. Okay? And they'd realize, why are we calling these guys idols? This is the one true God. He sings over you guys, man. That's a trip. And that's because, remember, we're described in the Bible as his bride and he's the groom, amen? And I just... I want to park on a lot of things, you know, when you go through the word, you just want to meditate and just, but I know I can't do that, but that's just mind-blowing to me. What an awesome God we have. You know what the first of the Ten Commandments is? Well, the greatest of the commandments, love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, but the first is like that, right? You shall have no other gods before me. Very, number one on the list of ten, which is repeated in the New Testament. Amen? And then the second commandment after number two in the list of 10 is not to make any idols, graven images of things in heaven or earth or under the earth, and not to bow down before them. 
which is really crazy because people will bow down not just before angels, which is wrong, and worship them. They'll even bow down and venerate uh, statues, or they'll venerate like, like the Roman Catholics will bow down and, or kiss the ring of the Pope, who's called the Vicar of Christ. And vicar Latin is instead of Christ. There's no Pope in the Bible. Peter was never called the Pope. Oh, but Rome was the center. No, Rome was not the center of the early church in the first century. It was Jerusalem. Read Acts 15. And when there's a first church council, Peter is not the one who makes the decision. It's James, the half-brother of Jesus, who says, this is what we're going to do. You know? Rome has it all backwards, but the Roman Catholic Church, as church history unfolded, it became, Christianity became politicized by the Roman Empire. And it basically became one with it and they began to encourage because people missed all their idols. Well, you can worship a statue of this. Instead of the God of this, you can have the saint of this. And they began to bow down before different idols, including idols of Mary. And the Eastern Orthodox Church also uh, has a form of veneration where they bow down before statues. You think if you know your Bible, that's the farthest thing you would stay away from because it's not in the scripture. And that's why we're not to make images of things in heaven or earth or under the earth and bow down before them. Well, you got to understand that I'm not actually worshiping the statue. Well, that's what the pagans would say. They say, well, I don't worship the statue, just the God it represents. That's a form of idolatry. You don't do that. That's paganism. That's why as evangelical Christians, we purely follow the word of God. You always test everything and not go beyond it, says Paul said, don't go beyond what's written. Amen. So it's important that we don't fall into idolatry. Really, really important. In fact, the worship of angels is forbidden in Scripture. Listen to Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. There are all kinds of people worshiping fallen angels today, worshiping demons demonic entities. Many people in the music industry, many people in Hollywood are worshiping these beings because they get power from them. In fact, listen to Revelation chapter 9. This is after the trumpets have started blowing and these plagues have come upon the earth and God's seeking to bring people to repentance that they'll turn from their wicked idolatry and worshiping demons and things of that nature and turn to worship the one true God. And even after radical plagues hit and a third of humanity is killed, a third of humanity is wiped out through the trumpet judgments. Listen to what we read in verse 18. If you want to go to Revelation 9, 18 through 21. A third of mankind was killed by these plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in the mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents and they have heads and with them they do harm. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues. This is real sad commentary. The rest of mankind who was not killed by these plagues did not repent of the work of their hands so as not to worship demons, fallen angels, and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood. Millions of people around the world worship idols they've made with their hands still in various parts of the world. In India, you know, different, all kinds of places, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders. Wow, is there a crime wave that's been just continuing to go on? 
in our country, nor of their sorceries. Okay, that's the Greek word pharmakeia, from which we get, you know, I mean, speaking of illicit drugs and contacting the spirit world through illicit drugs, it was also used as, as a, an abortion drug to kill babies. Uh, nor of their immorality, Greek words porneo, their sexual sin. Amen. Men, women too, keep yourselves from sexual immorality. Keep yourselves from pornography. Nor of their thefts, thefts, you know, ripping people off. And people just today, man, you see whole mobs of people go into stores and just raid them and walk out. And now there's laws in California that as long as you don't take more than a thousand bucks, you won't end up in prison. What in the world is that? That's these liberal DAs, you know, many of them uh, financed by Soros, who's an enemy of the United States of America, who actually uh, is allegedly, when you look at his history, was a Jewish guy who turned other Jews, along with his dad, into the Nazis. When you look at Soros' history, well, what kind of guy is that, you know, according to what, what I've read online and in, in, in full-blown, you know, documented articles on him, and it was justified. And he's our DA, in, or the DA that got recalled in Frisco, the DA in uh, Gascon here in uh, LA area, who've just been so easy on crime, uh, Soros backed, you know, it's happened all over the country. Uh, lawlessness would increase in the end times, the scriptures say. Now it's interesting, they will not repent of the worship of demons. I'm telling you right now, man, as we talk right now, there are all kinds of people that are in high places that have been energized and empowered by demonic entities. They're very real. They, they worship them because oftentimes they're empowered by them. Ezra Miller, he has been in the news in the last month, and he's been in the news just recently again because he is the one who plays Flash in the big DC Superman, Batman movies, right? And now in June, this coming June, just under a year from now, uh, the big Flash movie by Warner Brothers is coming out, and he's the main actor. He plays Flash, and there's 200 million bucks or so they've spending on, spending on that movie. He's already, you know, done his role to a degree, but he has more things to do. And all of a sudden, this bunch of news came out, which wasn't so good, is that, you know, he practices Crowley's uh, uh, chaos magic, okay? He has an altar. Uh, those in Vanity, in Vanity Fair, people that were at his place and know him came out and said, yeah, you know, he has a, an altar and he has figurines of flash and people give offerings on this altar. He's groomed girls, two of them, so according, to, according to what's being reported, you know, I'm not saying he's going to be convicted of all this, but this is what's out there right now is that uh, two of the girls, 12 years old, he began grooming them. Both girls separately, parents had to get restraining orders to keep him from their girls. Well, he's got one that grew older and she's saying, oh, we're not having sex and so forth, you know. Uh, she's 17, 18 now, I don't know. Uh, and he has a whole harem of gals, you know. Now, allegedly right now, because Warner Brothers is like, uh-oh, we're going to have to scrap this movie or not. So now he's getting some mental health work done on him because it got closer and closer to him movies in the movie gig. And they don't want to give up the 200 million bucks and reshoot everything. They want to have him shoot the rest. And this guy is, interestingly enough, Flash in the comics is basically made the image of the ancient demon god Hermes of the Greeks. The messenger God. 
He was a divine messenger, supposedly, for Zeus, the chief god of the Greeks. And Hermes has appointed ears, and he's fast because the messenger will flash, has the same kind of ears, and he's flash, he's fast, and so forth. And, and in, the, in the comic world, they recognize, they know he's... And the Bible says the gods and nations are demons. So a lot of these char- comic characters, you know, they're called the new gods, the new demons, oftentimes, or they're made in the image of past gods. And we, you as a Christian, need to be able to put, draw a line from what's going on now and what's culturally relevant and what's affecting people back to the Word of God and back to history and say, how does this apply to my life now? How do I remain pure and make sure that I don't get involved in some kind of idolatry because the superhero movies are the most popular movies right now. And if we really care about the kids who are being swept away by these things, we won't just say, oh, let's just keep our mouths shut because we don't want to rock the boat, you know? I'd rather have people get upset with me because I talk about what's going on in popular culture because it's influencing millions of kids, including a lot of our own kids, and have a few people get upset and say, well, that's, don't touch my idol. I'd rather get a few people upset and have people set free, which we're seeing people set free, a ton of them, you know? In fact, we got an awesome brother and sister here right now who shared our first video with the, their fellowship that they'd been going to. And they, because their whole curriculum was based on, if I understand right, superheroes, you know? And praise God, by the grace of God, they saw the video and they had a change of heart and they jettisoned that and they put it in like, I think, Answers in Genesis curriculum, if I remember right. Praise God, there's a victory there. We need more victories, amen? But praise God. So the kids are learning about Jesus instead of like going home. Why'd you learn today? I learned that flashes really fast. What? <laughs> You know, because that's what sticks in kids' minds. Come on, let's face it. We got a war going on for the souls of our children. Amen? And a lot of the adults. So, interestingly enough, the top writer for Marvel and DC, number two, voted all time, right, at, right under, right under, uh, Grant Morrison's his name, right under Alan Moore, who's also a practitioner of Satan and Selfish Cross Magic. Grant Morrison, in his article, Pop Magic, by the way, he talks about how he contacted these satanic spirits and how we need to be, you know, how we can contact Flash and Ezra Miller is following his teachings, basically. At least he's doing what, what, we, what we're talking about here to one degree or another. So Grant Morrison, with Pop Magic specifically, says if you want to, con- he says, warns about contacting some of these demons, they come with a lot of intense bad energy, so you got to do these banishing rituals. He says, but, but he talks about contacting different entities. He says, if you contact Flash, which is really, you want to contact Hermes from the past, this is what you do. You get pictures of Flash, and you play Ray of Light, because it's fast light, right, by Madonna. You take some dope, you take some speed, and you associate everything with, with, with Hermes, and then that entity will show up. Well, you're basically, by doing these things, you're basically saying, hey, I'm open to being possessed, which is what you're doing, to the demons. It's not Hermes Hermes, because Hermes is just uh, fictitious, mythological, just like the statues. Different demons will, sh- it's not a bunch of, is there a bunch of Hermeses? No, there's all kinds of demonic entities that'll just, you know. Well, guess what? Ezra Miller, they said, has, a, has an altar where he has figurines of Flash. It's one of the big actors in, you know, the superhero movies, and and he contacts these entities and he's grooming girls. He says he's Satan. Ezra Miller says, I'm the devil, according to those who are around him. And I'm also Christ. I'm both. That's what Charles Manson said, by the way. He said he was Christ and the devil. And he was also associated with Crowley's stuff as well. So I thought, wow, this is crazy. 
And there's a lot of idolatry. I mean, the top, top dude of, of uh, the whole Avenger Mar- Marvel Cinema is who? Robert Downey Jr. Guess what he does? He wanted to get the part to play Iron Man. How do you get the part? I practice my parts. And guess what? I put a picture of Iron Man up there. And I practice the most intense magical ritual. Think about it. He said, I practiced the most intense magical ritual I ever did. And if Crowley, he said, if a Lester Crowley had a little brother, Satanist, I was the blank. Okay, now come on, guys. This is very real. And, these, and he got the part. And then he became the main character because everybody just loved how he played the part. And stuff. But these people are contacting demons. Many of them. Not all of them, you know. Sure, not everybody has an altar that's bowing down before figurines before they go and do the, but some of the main guys. And brothers and sisters, should we? But what happens is all kinds of people worship these celebrities now. They talk more about, did you hear what Angelie Joe, or well, she might be more passe right now, right? But they'll just talk about celebrities ad agnosium, ad infinitum, just constantly. And their attention is drawn away from Jesus, guys. Where's your attention at? Could you honestly say that your attention is on the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, Satan is a fallen angel, and he encouraged Jesus to worship him, right? And it says he showed the, the, the he showed the, uh, Jesus, the kingdoms of the world, in a moment's time, he just, just all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, Jesus, bow down and worship me, right? Bow down and worship me. And all this power over these, these worlds will be thine. They'll belong to you. What did Jesus said, say? Now, he was offered more than an acting part and to be esteemed by men. He was offered authority or power over the entire world, right? Wow. What did he say? Get behind me, Satan. It is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and serve him only. Is that what's in your heart? And praise God, man. How many of you are serving God? How many are ministering to people? How many of you encourage them? How many of you are shining the light? That's, that's beautiful. That's where you want to be, amen? You want to be glorifying the Father in heaven, amen? Now, guess what? You can worship people. It happens not just angels. Remember when Peter went to Cornelius? Cornelius was blown away. He, he wanted to follow God. He didn't know the gospel. He was serving God the best he could, but he wasn't saved yet. He was giving alms. He was helping the poor. He was a Roman centurion, a man of high ranking. And guess what? God used a series of, like, gave Peter vision to go to meet Cornelius. Cornelius, you know, angel appeared to him. Go and meet Peter. They get together, man, and Peter preached the gospel. But when Peter first meets him, guess what happens in the book of Acts? Listen to this. Uh, we read in Acts chapter 10, verse 25, when Peter entered... Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshiped him. Did Peter say, well, I know you're just giving me ambiance because I'm the first pope. No. (laughs) Verse 26, but Peter raised him up. He got him up. He goes, get up. Peter's probably a big fisherman, right? Thought he picked him. He could have been a small fisherman. We're like, well, that's Peter. He's a strong dude. He picks, he raises him up and he says, stand up. I too am a, I too am just a man. Sounds like what that angel said, right? I'm a fellow servant. He said, I'm just a man, Cornelius. Right? He deflected. Now, this happens in that because they worship angels, they worship idols, they worship men. People worship all kinds of things. And this happens again, not to Peter, but to Paul. 
Go to Acts chapter 14. Go to Acts chapter 14. Please turn there. This is really instructive, what's going on here. It really is instructive or should be for all of us. Go ahead and go to Acts 14, verse 8. Acts 14, verse 8. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet. Lame from his mother's womb. Okay, this guy has no, he can't walk. His feet don't work. He's lame from his mother's womb. So since he was a baby, he, he couldn't walk. And he had never walked, it says. Verse 9. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. Okay, wow. See, people, they're in Lystra, but the people in Lystra will know this guy. You know, he, perhaps begging, you know, and so forth, and just he's around, he's in need constantly, and, and all of a sudden he's, I didn't just get up, he leaps up. There's energy there. Whoa, and he starts walking, and people are tripping out. Verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Laconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Now, they're calling Paul Hermes because he's doing most of the speaking. And Hermes was, remember, he was a divine messenger, right? So he'd give messages and he was known to speak for Zeus because Zeus's dignity was considered so high up because he's the chief god of the Greek pantheon. Hermes would be his spokesperson. Right? So since Paul's doing most of the speaking, okay, well, it looks like Paul, this guy Paul, Barnabas must be Zeus. And, and, and Hermes must be, you know, uh, Paul. So they're tripping out and so forth. And verse 13, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. Because Hermes and Zeus would often show up together and Hermes would speak on behalf of Zeus. People would think that was what their mythological legends had said, you know. And, they, and back in those days, just like today, you know, the, the actors in those days, they were called hypocrites. That's where you get the word hypocrites. They put the mask on in the theaters and they would seek to be possessed by these gods. And the better they did, the more they were understood to be possessed. Well, here they thought, wow, these guys are actually possessed. Look at what they're doing. And they're giving offerings to Paul. They're wanting to give offerings to Paul and to Barnabas in the form of Hermes. And Zeus, let's worship these guys. And it's quite crazy when you think about this. Now, there's some heavy things going on here because uh, what was happening, it's good to know some of the background of what was going on and why these people were freaking out so much and so much wanted to make sure they gave an offering because they didn't want to offend Zeus and Hermes. They're like, well, first of all, we've got to show some hospitality here. Because around 8 AD, not long before this, you know, it was in the consciousness at Lystra, is supposedly Zeus and Hermes showed up because there had some, some flooding that apparently went on. And they were really upset because they visited so many houses. They knocked and nobody would let them in. They knocked. They came as a pair. Nobody let them in. They went to a thousand homes, right, in the, in the region just next to Lystra, uh, just north of Lystra. And they, nobody would answer. And they got really upset. Finally, an older couple answered and said, hey, why don't you come in? And, and they showed them hospitality. and They were blown away. So then Zeus and Hermes decided, to, and Zeus just floods the whole area, wipes out all kinds of people. 
and creates a huge body of water with this one home where they showed hospitality, which rose up and was made into a temple for these old folks. And they just wiped out all these people. So that was in the consciousness that Zeus and Hermes weren't shown hospitality a while back when they visited us. And they wiped out and killed just so many people. Quickly, let's kill them. Let's bring, let's give offerings to them. You know, so they're freaking out. They want to make sure, you know, uh, they treat them right. And they commit acts of idolatry. By the way, Zeus, it's weird because we are made in the image of God. And we're called to be holy as he is holy. Amen? Well, false gods are used by demons, but they're made in the image of humans and wicked appetites in the image of fallen angels and so forth. Zeus is known for being a philanderer, an incestuous god with his sex with his own family members. He even goes after little boys. That's, that's, in, the, that's in the literature of what they said of Zeus, demon god. And Paul of course, would not want to be associated with and, and Barnabas, Zeus, and Hermes. And also, they don't want to be worshipped. They know that they are simply mere men. The Bible says there's only one God by nature. One God. Just one. And uh, the things that the Gentiles worship are not gods. There are many called gods. There are many called lords, 2 Corinthians, uh, Galatians 4, one God by nature. There's only one God by nature. Satan's even called the God of this world, but he's not a true God. There's only one true God, amen? And we're only supposed to worship the one true God. Now, it's interesting because, and I think this is important for all of us to get, we have to remember. I love it that, you know, because what do we read? I love what we read next. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard it, verse 14, heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to what? A living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Wow. That's who we're supposed to worship, right? In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet he did not leave himself without witness. And that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even saying these things with difficulty, they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. Wow. That is, they still have to work. Don't worship us. Humans are nothing, ultimately. The Bible says the nations are less than nothing in all their power and might. We are animated dirt. NASA did a big study that everything that's made up in dirt, everything we are is in the dirt. Well, we didn't have to do the study. Just read Genesis 1, right? Genesis 1 and 2. Made him for the dust, amen, of the ground. Without God and his grace, we're just bags of dirt. We're even worse than bags of dirt because we're sinners in rebellion to God. We're dirt bags, okay? <laughs> I mean, we really are. Let's just be honest. Without Christ, we're a bunch of dirt bags, okay? If you left me on my own and I didn't know God, I was just doing what I was doing before a believer, just, I was not you know, a good guy. He's living for myself. But the Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Whew. That God made, stamped his image upon us. Amen? 
he shares his, there's incommunicable, incommunicable attributes that we can never share from God because we're not God by nature. None of us could be the uncreated creator of all things. Only one, it's only him. He's omnipresent, he's everywhere. Amen. He's omniscient, he's all-knowing. Every detail knows everything that's going on all at once. That'll never happen with us. We're always far less, infinitely less than God. But then again, he's so good. He gave these bags of dirt, these dirt bags, if you will. Life, grace, forgiveness. And he shares with us his communicable attributes. Love, peace, joy, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, meekness. Amen? Things against which there is no law. Now, he shares that with us because he loves us and wants us to be able to participate in the communicable attributes of his nature as human beings made in his image. That's a powerful thing. And those things are the fruit of the Spirit, amen? God's Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, generates those beautiful, wonderful attributes in us as we reject the flesh, don't live for the flesh, but we live for Jesus. And that's what we want to become more like, amen? His image bearers, shining his light, growing in those things. Can you honestly say that you're seeking to grow in those things? That you're seeking to become more loving, amen? You have more self-control. And that only comes from being, coming more like our Lord. That comes from spending time with him, amen? From saying, Lord, do that in me. Make, forgive me. When you fall short and God identifies and convicts you by the Holy Spirit of a sin in your life or some way you're falling short, maybe you're extra grumpy and you're, and you're continuing in that mode and the Lord says, that's not right. I made you to be loving. Or, or you're struggling with someone and you're struggling with unforgiveness and the Lord says, don't do that. He wants you to confess that darkness and repent of it, Right? And take, put off the old man, it says, and put on the new man. It's like putting on, off and on clothes. Paul uses that. The Bible says in Romans, he says that in Colossians and Ephesians, put off the things that have to do with the old man, right? Malice and unforgiveness and anger and hatred and lust. Put those things off and put on the new man. Bowels of mercy, right? Compassion, amen? That's what we ought to be growing in. And the, it says in Romans 14, Paul says, clothe yourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a great picture, man. Not on the outside, on the inside. Whereby you're like, Lord, and how do you do that? You, you read and you study, what does it mean to be like Christ? What areas do I need to grow in, right? Then you find areas, that, then God convicts you with his word by his spirit and shows you where areas where you're falling short that you need to get rid of, right? That you need to repent of, that you need to depart from. And then you put Jesus first. You say, Lord, help me grow in these things. Amen. And then you practice righteousness. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, walking in righteousness becomes a habit. Are you with me? And you know what's crazy about this? Is then before you know it, you're walking in those things and that becomes normal. Then all of a sudden, when all of a sudden you're tempted to not forgive someone or be mean-spirited to someone or, or use bad words when you're angry or whatever you might go through, then it's glaring. It's like, oh, that's not me. That's the old man. Amen? I don't want that. To, that's, Lord, forgive me. Help me to walk in righteousness. So we seek to grow and become more like Jesus. And, and Paul is like, so the important thing is we recognize that because if we're God, we don't need anything. And, and you got your, you're messed up. But when you realize who you are, that you're not God. You know, Paul was like that. Peter was like that. Don't worship me. The angel was like that. Don't worship me. 
They're mere men. Paul tears his clothes to say, hey, look, I'm just flesh and blood, you know? He's aging. He's growing old too. He's going to die. Don't worship me. You know, God can use donkeys, amen? And he did before, right? He used a donkey. I, feel like he, I know he used donkeys because he used me, okay? He used anyone, amen? That's why I love this. This is one of my favorite scriptures that I, I love to think about because it, keeps every, it should keep us all grounded. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, who, for who makes you so superior? We're not superior. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Or I'm sorry. And if, you, uh, and if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not? So anything we have, praise God, we're more than dirtbags. Thank, thank you, Jesus. Amen. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have Jesus in us. Amen. And he gives us new life. We have his, the, the light and the glow and the purity of his joy in us. And we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Amen. And become more Christ-like and let the Holy Spirit use us and become more and more in love with Jesus. Amen. Now, this is really important to get because, you see, if we don't, it's a good to have that balance. Man, he can use donkeys. Man, we're animated dirt. But wow, we have this treasure in earthen vessels and we're made in his image. That gives us dignity. Amen. It's dignity from him. It's a gift from him. So we don't walk around thinking, look how great I am. We around, wow, Lord, look how great of a God I have that lives in me and allows me to participate in his life. Are you with me? So it keeps us humble, but also keeps us confident. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. We're dirtbags. But through Christ, the treasure that's in us, the one who's changing us, making us more like him, says we can do all things. Amen? So we need to have that, that, that focus. So what's interesting is Paul, you know, God has a way of keeping you grounded. They could have, Paul and Barnabas could have said, wow, this is cool, man. These people like us. They're all bowing down before us. Wow. And they could have taken advantage of that and done something really wicked, right? Propped themselves up as gods. Remember Simon, Magus in chapter 8, the sorcerer who wanted to be known as the great power of God, wanted to pay for the power of the Holy Spirit? The opposite mentality. But look, God has a way of waking us up. Or he allows circumstances to wake us up and situations in his providence and his sovereignty. Look at Acts 14, the next couple of verses, 19 and 20. But Jews came from Antioch at Iconium. And having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. So now the Jews had riled up, which is kind of ironic because the Jews are monotheists. And Paul's saying, worship the one true God. And all of a sudden, they're stirring people up against him because he's preaching the gospel. He gets stoned, left for dead. There were all kinds of rocks around this town and stuff. And they stone him. They think he's dead. They leave. He gets up. But he goes and preaches again. He's, he's got bruises. He's aching. He continues to minister. This was very painful ordeals that Paul went through. Now, God used things in Paul's life like this to keep him humble. You see, Paul received more revelations than all of us will together. He wrote half the books of the New Testament about. If he wrote Hebrews, which I'm not sure that he did, I don't think he did, that would be over half the books of the New Testament. But either way, he wrote about half the books of the New Testament. He was getting radical revelations from heaven. He talks about a man who was caught up to the third heaven, who got these fantastic revelations Things that he wasn't even able to utter. 
I mean, John chapter 10, John gets some communication to him from the seven winds, and he's told not to write him down. I don't believe he's talking about John, because John wrote much later than this. But he, he says, I'll talk about that man. He says, I'm not going to talk about all the great revelations as far as gloat in them that God's given me, because he says he didn't want to be lifted up in pride. And he says this because he's talking to the Corinthians about who are being, their hearts are being stolen away by false apostles who have come into the church and are taking them away from the gospel of Christ to a different Jesus, a different gospel, a different spirit, 2 Corinthians 11, super apostles. And Paul's showing, hey, he's the one that won them to Christ. 1 Corinthians, he's the one that won these guys to Jesus in the book of Acts. And now they're being led astray. So Paul, 2 Corinthians, is defending his ministry throughout much of that book. He says, I, I sound foolish, but I have to do this to show you who's true. But he also says to them, even though I've received all these revelations, God's given me a thorn in the flesh, something really painful in his life to keep him humble. So he won't be lifted up in pride like, wow, look how great I am. And he'd go through some very serious pain to remind him that he was just human. Remember, he was the chief of sinners, right? Deserved to go to hell. But we can forget where we came from. We can forget the hole that we were dug out of. We can forget about the pit that we were once in when he saved us, right? When many of us were on the verge of calling it quits, just thought it was too late. Boom, he saves us. Puts our feet, as David said, on a rock and gives puts a new song in our mouth. He saves us. But also we're praising God. We're in his image and we're growing. And all of a sudden we can forget the grace of God that pulled us out of that pit. Don't do that. And Paul had to remember that he was the chief of sinners. He called himself the worst of sinners right? He called himself the least of the saints. He called himself the least of the apostles. But God had to work in his life to do that because he has this, this terrible pain, this, this thorn in the flesh that's so brutal. And he's like, God, take this from me. Praise three times. God, take this from me. Go to 2 Corinthians and we'll read what he says about this. 2 Corinthians. I'll go to chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And it's interesting because when you look at what Paul says here, you really hurt for him. And there's a lot of controversy around these verses as far as what Paul specifically is talking about. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul says, Because of the surpassing greatness, the surpassing greatness of the revelations that he was receiving, right? For this reason, to keep me from what? Exalting myself. Man, I must be really super special that God has shown me of all people these things, and I'm writing this New Testament, it could happen to him. There was given to me what? A thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. God allowed Satan to attack him. But why? The last part of verse 7, to keep me from what? Exalting myself. He says that two times, to keep me from exalting myself. Don't exalt yourselves, amen? The Bible says, Haughty spirit goes before destruction, right? Pride goes before fall, and haughty spirit before destruction, amen? God gives grace to the humble, it says, but he resists the proud. He doesn't give grace to the proud. We're saved by grace through faith, amen? amen. We want to be partakers of God's grace, amen? But if we become proud and arrogant, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we could fall into the condemnation of the devil through pride. Wow. So this is very important. It's very important that we're humble. Verse 8, concerning this, I implored the Lord. He cried out to the Lord three times that it might leave me. So it's not like just a little flare prayer. Oh, God, please take this from me. 
He's crying out to the Lord. He's imploring him on three different occasions. God, take this from me. And he said to me, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Now, we think of grace when we talk about grace so often. We talk about saving grace. We've been saved by grace through faith. Amen. The grace of God demonstrated through God's Son on the cross, paying for our sins, saving us from the penalty of God's wrath. Amen. Rising again. We have eternal life by grace through faith. But did you know there's different types of grace? Amen. There's different manifestations of it. That's saving grace. Sometimes you'll hear me talk about, I love this kind of grace too. Prevenient grace or pre-regenerating grace or pre-salvation grace. That's the grace that God worked in your life before you came to Christ. God was at work in your life. No matter who you are out there, before you came to Christ, God was already at work. The Spirit of God was drawing you. Even before you started getting really convicted and came to Christ, Jesus said, nobody can come to me unless the Father, what? Draws him. And the Holy Spirit began to draw you. The Bible says he draws us with cords of love. Amen. And even as we read in Acts 14, when Paul was not accepting the worship, he says to the people, God has not left himself without a witness, right? He gave you rains. He gave you good food. He gave you seasons. Even in the, in the creation fabric of the world, the way God blessed you, he was already drawing you. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. He was already speaking to your heart through your conscience. He uses conscience long before you're saved. You have a conscience. means con, means with, shins, science, with knowledge. Right and wrong. There's all kinds of ways that God was working in your life. He brought people into your life. He worked in the circumstance. He worked in painful things you went through that you're like, why did I go through that? But God used the tapestry of the things that were good, the things that were bad in your life and brought you to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Amen? That's prevenient grace. I love that. We don't talk about that grace enough. We do. We like to talk about it, but we should talk about it more. Then there's saving grace, what Jesus did for us. We should talk about it all the time, and we should be talking about it all the time. Amen? But there's also strengthening grace, empowering grace. Grace, which God uses, it's the grace, it's the strength of the Holy Spirit in your life so you can have victory over sin, over temptation, over circumstances that you face in your life. Amen? These are the hurdles that you face when you're at work, uh, when you're facing family issues, when you're facing relationship issues. The Holy Spirit's there as you would be the child God wanted to strengthen you to make the right choices, to resist temptation and for, to, so the devil will flee from you, right? To help you submit to God in a time where it's really hard sometimes to submit to God because you're like, man, this is really painful to do the right thing. You know, and, but guess what, man? No pain, no gain is true spiritually as well, amen? And, you, and help, he makes you make the right choices. We all need that strengthening grace. And if we get filled with ourselves, right? Look how great I am. Then we cease to rely on the Holy Spirit in our lives, amen? When we start to think, man, I just know so much. And man, I'm so strong spiritually. I'm, no, it's his knowledge that you've got. It's his strength that gives you the victories, amen? If you start to think like that, then you don't pray. And when you don't pray, you don't rely on the power of his spirit. And when you don't rely on the power of his spirit, you fall flat on your face. Paul could fall flat on his face because pride goes before fall. So God brings a thorn into his life so he realizes he stays grounded. I need God's grace to get me through these things. And he continues to pray. God may have allowed a thorn in your life that something that you pray causes you to seek God, causes you to like, wow, this is a painful thing. I wish this wasn't my life, but you know what? God's using it. God, God's used this in my life to make me look to him more. Amen? 
I believe we all have thorns to one degree or another in our lives that God uses to keep us grounded. Now, when you go through a thorn or you go through a trial, you can get bitter or you can get better, amen? But we're called in the scripture to count it all joy when we go through various kinds of trials. Can't wait. After Revelation, we're, by the grace of God, we're going through the book of James. I can't wait for that book. The first few verses of James, he talks about that. Consider all joy. Why? Because God's perfecting you, he says, through that. Amen? He's maturing you, so you'll be complete, lacking nothing. Because God's main thing he wants in your life is your salvation, then you to bear his image and have the communicable attributes of God. Amen? That's why he wants you to become like him. And so let you go through things so you'll seek him. So Paul says, in verse 9, and he said to me, this is cool because this is Jesus specifically speaking to Paul. If you have a red letter edition, which I have, this particular translation I have is a red letter. It says, it's in red. My grace, says Jesus, is sufficient for you. It's more than enough. It's there. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, Paul says, therefore, meaning with joy, he's going to rejoice now at his trial because he sees God's hand at work and he knows how important that is. Most gladly, therefore, he says, most gladly, therefore, will rather boast about my what? I'll rather, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ, what? May dwell in me. Wow, that's powerful. Now, we don't know what his thorn in the flesh was. Some say it was his eye disease because in Galatians chapter one, he has an eye problem because he says, look at large letters and he's not talking about a large letter. It's a smaller letter than normal that Paul writes, but letters that he's writing with. And he says, you were so kind to me, you treated me like an angel that you were willing to even to let me use your eyes. So some say, ah, oh, he has an eye disease. That's his thorn in the flesh. Others say, it's his speech. He has a speech impediment. And they quote scripture where Paul says he wasn't known for his speaking ability. And Paul talks about that. Says, oh, it's a speech impediment. He stutters maybe. Others say, no, it's... it's uh, you know, it's his persecutions that he goes through frequently. Uh, and others say he had multiple sclerosis. I've seen all kinds of commentators that they're all saying this is what it is. Maybe it's this, it's that, this, that. I love that God deliberately doesn't tell us. God deliberately doesn't tell us exactly what it was. Why? Because then we could be 100% sure this is what Paul had and I got something totally different. So that way we can apply what he was going through to our own lives, amen? We draw a line and say, I don't know what he had. I'm glad that God leaves that a mystery. Although I think I know what some of it was because I don't speculate, right? I don't like, don't like to speculate. If I speculate, I say maybe this, that, but I, I won't say thus saith the Lord unless it's there. But he does allude to what part of it could have been when you go to 12, verse 10, because he says, therefore, I what? I am well content with what? Weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, if that's his thorn in the flesh, it's all kinds of things he's going through. Just all kinds of persecutions and troubles and distresses. So it could be his sicknesses. It could be uh, the persecutions. It could be being stoned and left for dead and trying to go witness. It could be all kinds of things that God is using. And that's this whole, Lord, make my life easier. Help me be a better witness and, and, and a clearer witness and help me not get stoned so much. If you just walked in, I'm not talking about drugs. Paul was never getting stoned. Okay. But help me not go through these things so much, Lord. You know, maybe it was something like that. And the Lord, it kept happening. And Lord, again, please. Well, I don't know. I don't know what it was. 
It looks like it could have been a myriad of things. And I like that even better if that's the case. Because we've all go through, go through things, amen? And God used those things that are painful in our lives. Like, Lord, how come I'm going through this right now? I'm serving you. I'm trying to do the best I can in Christ, but I'm facing a crisis I didn't expect, and it's so painful, Lord. And the Lord's saying, wait, just hold on. Good, you're seeking me. That's where you need to be. And perhaps if you weren't going through some of the things you go through, you wouldn't be seeking me. And my grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to get you through what you're going through. Amen? I'm going to give you the strength to endure these trials. And you want to apply this practically to your own life and say, is there something I've been starting to murmur about? Don't murmur, pray. Amen? Is there something I'm complaining about? Don't complain, pray. And this is a cool thing. When you go through things, and we all go through things. I've got, I go through things, my wife goes through things, my kids, grandkids, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we all go through things. Don't get bitter, get better. Don't cry out against him or what's going on. Cry out to him, amen? And then you can have the joy of the Lord. And this is a cool thing, guys. When you pray and you say, God, please, in Jesus' name, and you're, you're, you're crying out to him, and the prayer doesn't get answered, which is why I said, bro, I love what you said, man. It's yes. God gives one of three answers all the time. Yes, no, wait. Wait. One day we'll all lose the thorns of the flesh because the Bible says new heaven, new earth, there will be no, there'll be no more pain, amen? Hallelujah. So I'll be delivered. But if God has to use things to keep us humble so we keep him first in our lives and we don't commit idolatry and worship American idols, Praise the Lord. Amen. All the more power to you, Lord. I want to be right in the center of your will. I want to be right with you because Revelation 21.8 says that idolaters will go to the lake of fire. And we don't want to go there. So God uses this to keep Paul humble before him. And it's quite beautiful. It's quite precious. In fact, there's some incredible lessons here. Right here. Spiritual strength. Okay. First of all, our thorns of flesh remind us that we're not God. Amen. Number two. Uh, spiritual strength is guaranteed. We're not guaranteed when you have spiritual strength, health, wealth, and the prosperity gospel. Amen. Jesus had no place to lay his head. Uh, God, number three, God wants to be humble. We talked about that. Number four, prayer isn't always answered the way we think it should be, but it's always answered the best way God knows it will be. Amen. Next, God will allow us to go through attacks to produce greater good in us. Amen. Next, he will allow trials to keep us from pride and keep us from falling. Next, he will allow trials to teach us to lean on him. Next, God's power is made perfect in believers uh, in that he gives us strength for our weaknesses. Then we, then we experience the strength because we're praying, and then all of a sudden, now, now we're empowered to serve him. That's powerful. Next, we need to pray and trust God for the outcome. Amen. And next, we should have gladness, like Paul did, because we know that he works all things together for the good for those who love and are the call according to his purpose. Amen. So you're facing trials and thorns. I'm not saying, oh yeah, oh, I just got to accept this. I did, did you hear the message? Okay, this is a thorn in my life. Well, wait, I didn't say just accept it. I said pray. Cry out to God. Amen. Because a lot of times he's, okay, I'm glad you prayed. You have not because you ask not. You don't pray. Make sure you're praying. And then when you're praying and seeking God, then you can just live life confidently. Say, well, I've been praying about this. I've been seeking to apply things to my life so I'm not you know, with regard to this thorn, but it's still here, so God's using it in my life. And he does that so we will huh, not idolize others and not idolize ourselves. Now, it's interesting. In Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9, the angel rebukes John for bowing down to worship him. 
He does that in chapter 19, verse 10 as well. But you know what? Something happens in huge contrast earlier in the book. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, he sees Jesus. He says his face shined like the sun in noonday. And he appeared to him on the Isle of Patmos. And he walked in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, right? And he held the seven stars in his right hand, right? And his feet and it was shod with, like, burned like fine brass and just <sighs> eyes of fire. And he falls down before Jesus. Does Jesus say, hey, don't worship me. I'm just a man like you. I'm just a fellow servant. Does Jesus say that? This is a great way to show Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, religious scientists, Christian scientists, Muslims, all kinds of people, that Jesus is God. Because what a contrast. Don't bow down and worship me. doesn't say that. John says, Jesus put his right hand upon me and said, fear not. And the next word, he says the opposite. He doesn't say, don't worship me. I'm not God. Worship God. He says, basically, I am God. He says, fear not. I am the first and the last. Doesn't say, get up. Don't worship me. He just says, don't fear. I'm the first and last. By the way, that's a name for God. Isaiah 44, 6 in the Old Testament says, thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and the last. Beside me, there is no God. Amen? Jesus says, fear not. I am the first and last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore and have the keys of death and of Hades. Wow. Then we get to Revelation chapter 5. Because in John chapter 5, Jesus says, will the Father that we honor him in the same way we honor the Father. Then when you go to Revelation chapter 5, guess what happens? You see the angels of God worshiping Jesus. And all the angels in heaven, and this is on earth, and everything under the everything will worship, is, is worshiping the Father and the Son. It says they worship the Father on the throne, and they worship the Lamb at his right hand. They're getting the same exact worship. They're honoring Jesus with the same worship they're honoring the Father. Jesus doesn't step up and say, whoa, 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 wait a second. Just worship the Father. Don't worship me. No. It, the, in fact, the song is worthy as a lamb, amen, that was slain, that redeemed us, amen. They're worshiping and praising Jesus. That's why we don't praise angels. The most singing songs praising people. We praise the Lord Jesus Christ. We worship and glorify him when we come in, the Father and the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews chapter one, the whole chapter is beautiful. It says that Jesus created everything. It says he not only created everything, but it says when he created everything, it says he sustains everything by the word of his power, holds everything together. You know what it goes on to say? God, tell, God commanded his angels to worship him. God commanded his angels to worship Jesus. That's in Hebrews chapter one, amen? In John chapter one, it says that Jesus is the word. The word was made flesh, amen? And that the word is God. Jesus is God. And it says everything was made by him. That at the end of John, keeping with the thesis, in John 20, 28, Thomas, who was the doubter, said, I, I won't believe until I see that he's risen from the dead. And if I stick my fingers in his, in his wounds, and Jesus says, stick him in, Thomas. He appears him. Thomas says, my Lord and my God, calls him God. That's how John starts. He's God in the flesh. Thomas got it. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses have said, well, no, he's just excited. He's like saying, oh, my Lord, oh, my God, this is a trip, you know. Well, I'll say it that way, but that's what they're saying, you know. No, in the Greek, I've looked it up in the Greek. Literally, it says, the Lord of me. Thomas says, the Lord of me and the God of me. He's blown away. And throughout the Gospels, Jesus accepts worship. They bow down and worship him over and over again. And he commands the angel of God to worship him in Hebrews 1 and Hebrews 5, Revelation 5, 
the angels are worshiping the Father and the Son. Amen. What an awesome, awesome God we have. We need to examine our lives and we just say, okay, Lord, take any idols that may be in my lives, lives away from me because they'll, they'll hurt your walk with God, number one. They'll hurt your walk with others as well. I just read an article this morning in the news and as I was working on the mes my message, I like to check out the news even when I'm working on my message because something might have come up. And I thought, wow, that's an interesting secular article. And it talked about marriages and how people are putting things before their marriages and they don't even care about their marriages anymore. They're cheating on each other and stuff. And it was talking about Adam Levine of Rune 5 and how he's supposedly sexing all kinds of gals and stuff. And, and his pregnant wife has been left out of the, in the cold, so to speak, and, or what have you. And then talking about Tom Brady and his relationship with, uh, what's his wife's name? Giselle, uh, and, and that, that, that's on the fritz because, you know, whatever. And then it start, gets into, you know, uh, goes back in history, this article, you know, Elizabeth Taylor divorced eight times. Zsa, Zsa Gabor had the record for Hollywood, nine times record, you know, re re the wedding bells nine times, I guess. Uh, and it's just talking about that. And what's interesting in this article, the headline was, relationship challenge, material obsession is bad for marriages, family, and children. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. 2 Timothy 3, Paul says, men will be lovers of self in the last days, right? Lovers of pleasures more than God. Lovers of money, materialist. And I thought, well, it's kind of an interesting article based on what I'm working on. And it was a front page article and it was just bizarre. And it was interesting because the article said this, listen, an online survey, retailer Yellow Octopus, I'd never heard of them, underscored the declining value of our love. It found that 39% of respondents would forgive an unfaithful companion in exchange for a lavish gifts. So that's four out of 10 people, basically. Well, if you give me this, I'll forgive you. What in the world? I mean, we should forgive as Christians, but this is forgiving for material means, meaning I don't care if you're faithful as long as I get things out of it, right? The report said 32% of not so heartbroken people would let bygones be bygones in exchange for a new cell phone. 21% would have their loyalty assuaged by event tickets. 18%, that's one out of every five almost, uh, could look past the transgression with a gift of video games. Wow. You know, it's like, this, the world we live in is just crazy today. We have to keep ourselves from idols. You know what? I was dealing with something I didn't, would never think was an idol. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm spending too much time thinking about this thing. As I taught my kids, even my daughters, I, Josiah and I would, we, you know, he played football, he played football, I watched him play football, taught him in a way how to play football with Madden, you know, the, the video game, football, and it's one of those safer video games because, you know, you're just playing football, right? But it can consume your time. And I was playing with him and we had a great, we had a lot of great times together and we play against people online, you know, whoever scored a touchdown could stay on offense until you didn't score a touchdown, then we'd switch and you'd be on defense. We had a, a, a lot of fun times. Taught my girls on Madden to appreciate football. They love football, but guess what? They learned on Madden, and they got kind of bored after seven games. Okay, I'm going to go play with dolls or whatever. I got it, you know? It's like, yeah, it's like, but guess what? Uh, I would sometimes, without Josiah, start, I'd play online, and I got pretty good. So you get classified in the top 100,000. If you all of a sudden move, there's 100,000 people that are, they have your name and where you're listed. And I thought, oh, wow. And I found it easy to beat people, and I got up to 134. And I thought, wow, I want to crack the top 100. I'm almost there. I'm going to be top. And I want to get the top 10 maybe. And I had a rule. So I don't spend all day playing. I could just play one game a day. But a lot of times the guys would quit that I was playing because I'd run up the score. They'd quit. I'd go, well, if they quit, I could play until they don't quit. Okay? So I'd play two or three games sometimes. And before I got to 134. But they'd go quick because it's quick games. But you know what? I was at 134. I'd go, oh, I'm going to be top 100 a little bit. It's pretty fun. 
That was, it's a fun game, I have to admit. And Jojo was just telling me, Dad, the Madden that's out right now is more fun than any of the Maddens. But don't worry, I'm impervious to the temptation because this is what happened. I'm, I'm, play, and I'm, I'm, I'm playing, and I'm playing a guy in the top 100, and I run over him with my score. <laughs> score big points. But he scores big points against me, and he beats me. And he leaves me a message. He goes, I want to say this. Nobody does this to my defense, you, the, the points you scored. But then he says one more thing. But you need to work on your defense. Because he scored more points than I did. And I worked more on my offense at that time. I remember that night going to bed. And I'm thinking, and that's my prayer palace, man. I seek the Lord, cry out to the Lord. And I'm thinking, all of a sudden thought in my mind, I need to work on my defense. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I need to work on my defense. What am I thinking about? Because it was just kind of there. And I'm like, I'm not thinking. I'm like, I'm thinking about Madden. And I like got convicted. I was like, you know what, Lord? Take this from me. Not that it's bad. Not if you can't think about your, if you play whatever sport you can think about. But for me, it was, okay, for me. I was like, Lord, take this from me. Because I had a lot of fun. I just, you know, that was my leisure time. I, some leisure time, boom, just play, take very long, boom, done. Too, took too long at times. And I thought, I'm thinking about my defense. I got convicted. I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me, Joe. You're thinking about this too much. Usually you're spending time with me. I'm not sure how that came out, but it was just that conviction. And I prayed, Lord, take this from me. And it was right before men's retreat. I went on the men's retreat. I came back. Didn't even think about it. It was just gone. I was like 10 years ago or something. And I remember, I played like twice since then. I think it was Johnny and Josiah and one other kid were playing, and they all three played against me. And I beat all three of them. By the way, that's easier than beating one Josiah because they're all trying to do different things. So it wasn't that hard, right? But, but, I, but I think I played maybe twice in 10 years because I felt the Lord told me to lay it down. Not because it was first in my life. It wasn't, it wasn't even a close second. But I just didn't want it to occupy my thoughts. And there may be some things in your life you're saying, man, this is either idolatry on the verge of idolatry or it can become danger to me. And you want to just jettison it, amen? I'm not talking about your spouse if you're married, okay? But it might be an ungodly relationship. God doesn't want us to be unevenly yoked, right? It might be some video game. It might be some, some habit that you, or some even, you know, not just, it could be some hobby that's not bad in itself, but you put it before Jesus. So let's set all of our idols aside. Anything that looks like it could become an idol, let's make sure that doesn't happen, amen? Anything evil we need to repent of, Amen. But it's the things that aren't in themselves evil that can become evil if they become gods to us. Amen? You know what the key is? Hebrews 12. Setting aside those things that hinder our walks, it says. Those encumbrances. Amen? And the sin that so easily besets us. Setting our eyes on Jesus. Amen? Can we agree? Let's set our eyes on Jesus. Let's become more like Jesus. Amen? And let's allow him to transform our hearts. Amen? Can we all stand as we pass out the cup and the bread?